welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the show on the Nerd Party Network that focuses on the work of Star Wars creators. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we're going to be looking at Guillermo del Toro's comic book classic, Blade 2. Or as it's listed in Amazon, Blade 2, Blood Hunt. Which was not on any poster that I saw or in the credits. It it was the, I think that was originally what they were going to call it. By the time it came out, they had dropped the blood hunt from everything. Gotcha. But I remember my ticket stub said Blade 2 Blood Hunt on it. No kidding. Yes. No kid- All right. Well, I don't remember that far back, sadly. But uh, <laughs> you want to give everybody a breakdown of what Blade 2 is all about? Sure. Uh, Blade 2, it's the sequel to Blade. It stars Wesley Snipes as the Daywalker, a half-human, half-vampire guy who hunts vampires uh, because he doesn't like them too much. And uh, the vampires don't like him too much either since he keeps on killing them. But now there is something else which is running around which is even deadlier than vampires and it is feeding on vampires so now the vampire team the blood pack needs to team up with blade in order to take down the much larger threat and right. and a member of that blood pack is played by Donnie Yen Yes, the future Chirrut Imwe is among the uh, the blood pack. Yeah, he plays um, Snowman. Yes, he does. And he also did fight choreography uh, on the film. Yeah. Um, uh, especially, uh, I think the scene that he's m- had the biggest hand in was uh, the fight between Nomak and Blade in the, uh, the church mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that had all of the, con- the construction scaffolding in it that was beneath, behind the club or something yeah uh because there's very much a you know being a guillermo del toro uh type of thing there's very much a lot of um religious symbology worked in there and a lot of uh different uh visual cues that are very gothic and and rich um and all of the buildings and i i did actually i guess i didn't really pay attention to it the first time i i saw it or even the second but this time I really caught the fact that all of the vampire stuff was built on top of churches, hmm. including the vampire HQ. Uh, I thought that was that was actually a really neat visual touch that inevitably uh, Del Toro brought to it. But um, yeah, I mean, I had not watched this in many, many years. I did see this in the theater. I remember seeing this in the theater. I remember my cousin Robert going with me and loving it. He thought it was great. He thought it was better than the first one, and I was decidedly more lukewarm. What was your reaction all those years ago? I'm with your cousin. Um, you know, I, I I enjoyed the first movie, but I, I think it was like one of those things where there were like there was like one. Really, it was like just the opening sequence where I was like, "This is amazing!" And yeah, everything... the opening sequence stands up too. It <laughs> um, is one of the best opening sequences of one of these types of movies, like ever. You're talking about with the first one. I was talking yeah, about the original Blade. Yeah, yeah. when he co- when he comes into the club and everything, and yeah. the music that's good, like it's brilliantly edited and paced and acted and 
the fight choreography is yeah. insane. Yeah. It, it, it was it was pretty great. And you know, after that, I was just kind of like, I don't really care about the rest of this movie. You know, <laughs> so that yeah. was sort of. But you know, Blade Two. I mean, the trailers and everything looked looked great. And I mean, I really think that Del Toro brought an energy to it which uh, was lacking in the first movie, and I, also a lot of humor and everything. And to me, Blade Two is a standout. It's definitely the best of the franchise, and I think it's like one of the best comic book movies ever. And I think that it's Del Toro's best movie ever. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of Blade Two. I'm not gonna say it's Del Toro's best movie ever, but I will say that this time watching it, maybe I'm just a different person now. Maybe what what have you? But I found myself, because I went into it ready, I've, I've made a habit out of beating up on this movie through the years. Yeah, you beat up on me for talking about liking it. You're like, how dare you say this movie's good? And I'm like looking around, you know, because like all my friends and everything, you know, we're of the mind that it's amazing, right? So like you talking about this movie being bad, this is like news to me. I'm like, there's people who don't I, like this movie? That's in my so circle weird. of friends, I was not anomalous i had most everybody that i saw the best reaction to it was eh wow and except for my cousin rob yeah who, who loved it who thought it was great but this time watching it i think you're right i think del, del toro brought his energy to it mm -hmm. i thought that the 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 vampire clan stuff that was you know hinted at and sort of fleshed out in the first one i mean basically this is what sequels traditionally have done through time which is they take the template of the first one and they say let's just make it cooler and more streamlined we know what we're doing now and I very much got that vibe this time and I really enjoyed it a heck of a lot more and I, like I, I just thought it was more even I like the ending better uh, definitely I always like the ending of this one better than than the original blade the, the original blade was that ending just is just very like it yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, they um, had problems with that ending. I know yes, that. they did. Yes, they did. Yeah, um, and with good reason. But uh, the th like this one, it it makes much more sense. I think that there's actually, a as crazy as this might sound, there's more sense of restraint that Del Toro knows where not to push. He knows the the spots to push, and the spots to. Um, to to let the audience bring their own thing, and I you know I think that one of those things is the the relationship uh, between Blade and uh, Nisa mm -hmm. is very much. I mean, you know, in a sense, it's sort of a forebear of what we're becoming used to, where there's an attraction between the male and the female lead, but there's no consummation of it. Like that was that was very much a staple of these sorts of movies, and of 80s action movies. I mean, you know, you go back to Highlander, there's a completely unnecessary sex scene thrown into it because that's just what was expected. I mean, even the original Terminator, it's like, this. I mean, I guess it, you know, it, it at least serves the plot, so that's a bonus, but like, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard all to have what. a Terminator 2 without that, so yeah. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Or, or even a Terminator, Terminator 1, one yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. But I mean, I'm talking about like the type of scene it was. It was like that, mm. it was just to titillate but so there, there's a there's definitely a sense of restraint i mean long story short i came out of it this time i'm not ready to to sing its praises um maybe on the scale of calling it a masterpiece but i definitely enjoyed it more and i would definitely go back and watch it again 
and know why part of that is that they have i mean ron perlman's always great but the people they have in the blood pack including donnie yen, like donnie yen radiates this charisma mm-hmm. you know he he's almost like a uh you know like an early schwarzenegger type of actor where it's like he just it just comes off of him like you want to see more of him uh, yeah. through through the whole movie i don't think he has a single line of dialogue in this movie does he i think he says maybe two words yeah. or something like that yeah, I mean, and but it is cool, and I mean, you know, he was sort of, you know, a star in Hong Kong, you know, for his for his, you know, action, you know, stuff at this point, and I know that he had come to. I remember when he came to America, and and you know, there were definitely some some action fans out there who were very excited about him, you know, coming over to the states for his first American movie, which was Highlander Endgame, by the way. That's um, unfortunate. I, I like Highlander Endgame, not nearly as no, much as Blade Two. No, but nobody <laughs> likes Highlander Endgame, Mike. Even even though he has a small role, it, it was kind of a, a similar role to to the one that yeah. he had in Rogue One. He's part of the team. Certainly not as big, you know, as 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 a uh, Rogue One, but uh, it is cool that they uh, utilized his other talents, you know, as a as a choreographer and stuff like that, in yeah. order to. Uh, you know, make the scenes that he wasn't in, you know, cool because the fight scenes in this movie are really, really good, you know? Well, and the, and the thing that I like about them is they do, there are different parts of them that all exhibit the, uh, the, the different, uh, sensibilities of the people doing the choreography. Like I can tell based on seeing the first movie and then this one, I can tell what parts snipes choreographed because he, he has taken martial arts and so I can see those scenes. I'm like, okay, the, it lo- the stuff that he did is obviously much more practical mm-hmm. in terms of you know the the, the impact, which is crazy to say. It's a bunch of you know it's a vampire fighting vampires and and their their minions sort of thing. But you know he he seems to really focus on the the very uh, you know up close and personal you know uh, Smash Mouth stuff. And then you have Donnie Yen is very obviously, you know, what's termed as the wire foo type of stuff. You know, like the the fight between Nomak and Blade where, you know, it's the falling off of the scaffolding and the punching as you fall sort of thing. And, the you know, the, the close up stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that the fight scenes are really, really pretty spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, there's a couple of moments which is really weird. I mean, I guess. Well, this is probably Del Toro's biggest budget to date, right? I mean, up until now, Pacific Rim. Well, I mean, up to this point, sure, yeah. but Pacific Rim's. Oh yeah, were, yeah, but I mean, up yeah. until Blade Two, like he had done Mimic, which did not turn out as he had well. as he had planned. <laughs> yeah, and then he he had done you know a number of Spanish language movies, which were obviously fairly small in scale. Kronos is great, though. Uh, yeah, no. I don't know. I really. I'm not a big fan of Kronos. I'm not a really. Big, I, I'm not a big fan of any of his Spanish language movies. Really. I mean, when I think about I it, Kronos like, was great. The only like Del Toro movie which I'm head over heels in love with is Blade Two. There's a number of them which I think huh. are really good, but there's also a number where I'm like, that that doesn't work. I mean, Crim- see for me the one the one that I'm completely head over heels in love with is Pacific Rim. Yeah, I mean that's a good movie for sure. You know, yeah. we we talked about that over on uh, Trekt.fm on on stage nine. So yes, check, we did check that out. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Pacific Rim is good. Hellboy is good, you know, and everything. But the the thing about it is, like, the the reason why I bring it up is because I feel like this is, you know, he had a budget, and he's like, I'm gonna try out some of the CGI stuff, you know, which mm. maybe this is the movie that kind of turned him off of it because. You know, he's kind of known for practical effects for the most part. I mean, obviously not in Pacific Rim. But there's like a, 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 a couple sequences in this movie where he resorts to Matrix-style CGI doubles. And the results are maybe not the best in the world. They don't hold up as well as I think they would have hoped. No, they didn't hold up on opening night, to be completely (laughs) honest. But and the thing is, I remember one of my friends. That was his biggest thing. Was he he hates CG as a rule, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is kind of silly. But he uh, he also comes at it as I remember. You know, I saw it at a different showing than he did, and he came out of his showing, and you know, we started talking about it on the phone, and he was livid about that scene, the the sword fight scene in Blade's Lair, where he's like, "Oh my gosh, those they looked absolutely terrible," and I was like, eh, "You know, it's good enough. I'm I'm okay with it. It's fine." Mm-hmm. But um, he, yeah, I mean, he basically uh, tapped out of the movie at that point. And the thing is, it kept using them, like you know, the final fight between Nomak and and Blade. You know, I mean, there there's practically like there's like uh, anime style pro wrestling moves exactly yeah. in that final fight. Yeah, which is which a weird I kind, choice. you know this time I kind of liked because it was, I mean, you know, flying elbow coming mm-hmm. off of a double helix sculpture. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I never really had a problem with it. You know, I mean, I know some people are like, "This is ridiculous." I mean, the, I'll forgive the 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 fight at the beginning in 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 Blade's house. Because um, there's so much cool stuff in there, too. You know, I mean, it starts off with, with this, you know, big, like, sword fight kind of thing, which which works really well. And there's just a couple shots here and there which are CGI'd. And, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I can forgive that. Well, he, here here's a big here's a big question for me is for, for a very long time, and I've softened over the years, but one of the things that I really beat up on this this movie over was the fact that it did like a recap of the first movie over the credits, mm-hmm. including with narration. I've kind of hated that ever since Superman 2. Mm-hmm. Like all the way back in the day where I'm like, I, there are other ways you could bring the audience up to speed than this. How do you feel about that opening credit sequence? I'm I'm okay with it here for a number of reasons. One, because I feel like I'm not obligated to watch the first one again. Um, two, because uh, I think the way that it's done is stylized enough, and and a big part of it I think is the music, where it's got some like cool like horn action going on, which is very mm. reminiscent of sort of like. Uh, the black exploitation movies of the seventies, you know, a good point. and, and that, yeah. that kind of like pushes me over the edge and, and I'm okay with that stuff. Um, the thing which I think is kind of weird and I can't really fault them for it, but I think it's very bizarre when you start watching the movie is they spend a good long chunk of time at the beginning of this movie 
retconning the fact that they killed Chris Christopherson in the yes, first movie. Yes, they sure do. And they take a long time to get him back. And I thought that was a very bizarre choice, although I can't really fault them for it, because if you can get Chris Christopherson in your movie, you get Chris Christopherson in your movie. I thought I thought that it did take too long, but at the same time, I think that they they constructed it in such a way and like I'm ambivalent on the opening credit sequence now, but when he grabs the guy and he's going looking for Whistler, mm-hmm. it's not such a bad thing in the sense that you get very familiar with his character yeah. again with how he deals with problems. And so it plays okay for me. The decision to bring Whistler back, you know, I mean, I, I said earlier, you know, this is sort of what a sequel does. I mean, th- that was what a sequel has traditionally done through time, too, where it's like, hey, remember that character who was dead? They're not really dead. I mean, we even, yeah. uh, we, you know, recently talked about, uh, over on Stage 9, we talked about uh, Loaded Weapon 1, mm-hmm. and there was a whole gag about it where John Lovitz comes in, and he's like, I, you know, and everybody says, aren't you dead? And he's like, I thought this was the sequel. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, that's true. I mean, I, I guess I kind of forgive it here. I mean, I still think it's like, okay, they brought him back. That's weird. I don't quite see the logic behind him not being dead, dead. He's only mostly dead, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but it, you know, it, it's they use it in the plot. You know, there's a whole thing where mm-hmm. it's like, for one thing, Blade has a new assistant, and he plays a very big role, played by Norman Reedus, who's now, you know, big time on the walking dead and the heartthrob on the walking dead yeah was that what he is i I didn't i didn't know that and i I know that he's one of the untouchable characters because there are people where if they kill that if they kill norman reedus on i I can't even remember his name now it's been so many years since i watched it Mm -hmm. do you remember no but basically if if they kill norman reedus's character on the walking dead they will lose easily 75% of their remaining audience. Isn't that, is is he the character where I see all the t-shirts where it's like, if what's his name dies, we riot? Yeah. So that's kind of a yeah, meta he, he thing carries going the, on He there. carries the, the crossbow. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Um. He's, you know, he plays, he wouldn't be there if, if Whistler wasn't dead and then alive again and right. you know that he plays an integral part in this movie it's not just like the scrappy sidekick he plays a really big role in the story but also they really you know sort of play with the idea of like we're not sure that we can trust whistler this time around because he yeah. might be a vampire you know and and that that i think works really well too so so i have my question here because we've had many legendary disagreements about the wonderful idea to bring Darth Maul back on the Clone Wars and later Rebels. Mm -hmm. And if you can come to terms with and be at peace with Whistler coming back because it it worked well and the storyline was was good and, and all of that, why still the problems with Darth Maul coming back? Um. Well, two things. First off, I mean, as much as we would like to think and pretend that all Star Wars is equal, it's not. And the fact that Darth Maul has been brought back in this secondary medium in a similar way to Agent Coulson on, um, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
and the fact that we will never see Darth Maul up on the big screen ever again. Like that Are you sure? Are you I'm, sure he's not Snoke? I'm yes, I'm sure he's not Snoke. So am I. Okay. But I just wanted to float that out there. For okay. You. All right. Um you know th- that you know that's that's just you know that's part of it. You know, it feels mm-hmm. like this is secondary and 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 cheap and it feels like we're I mean, especially with the way Darth Maul's arc theoretically ends, it felt like a long way to go to get back to where we were at the beginning, you know? Especially hearing Dave Filoni talk about it at the at the Rebels panel at Celebration where he's like, I mean, spoilers for that random episode of Rebels, I guess. <laughs> Um, he's like, it's not really after going through all of this stuff, you know, it felt like, you know, Darth Maul being killed by Obi-Wan Kenobi was one of Obi-Wan Kenobi's defining characteristics. And when you bring Darth Maul back to life, you essentially take away a big part of what makes Obi-Wan Obi-Wan. It's part of his lore, like in universe lore, like he's Mm -hmm. the guy who killed the Sith you know, the Sith dude and everything. And now he's not dead. Right. And it sounds like Filoni felt kind of guilty about that as he probably should. And he shouldn't feel guilty about it because it's, it is a, okay, but it's, it's a magnificent storyline that he occupies. Okay. okay. Once, once you, once you have that first episode where you're like, wait, he's still alive. Okay. And then it gets going and he's possessed by that whole thing about killing Kenobi and everything. It's pretty but, awesome. But then like Filoni says, you know, you are definitely taking away something from Obi-Wan Kenobi's character. You know, him being alive means well, that, that Obi-Wan that... Kenobi did a bad job at killing that. He didn't do that no. thing, which people think he's so cool for doing. No, but that at, at the same... I mean, the thing is, you know, I, I could talk it to death, but at the same time, I think that there's a... You know, to speak to the whole idea of balance, I think he's just saying that it becomes an inevitability that Obi-Wan's the only guy that can kill him because his death in a in a story sense belongs to Obi-Wan. Well, I mean so that's having Darth Maul make it out of Rebels and say go into post return of the Jedi timeline, that doesn't work because to have him killed by anybody else is really anticlimactic. It's he's almost like a ghost that won't stop haunting Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan's the only one only one that can exercise him. That's sort of what Filoni was saying. He was saying that he felt it was wrong to basically let anyone other than Kenobi kill you know, yes. Darth Maul. I mean, I, to me, the way that I see that whole storyline playing out is it's a, it's a one-sided relationship where Darth Maul is like, I hate you, Obi-Wan, because you cut me in half and threw me down a hole. And Obi-Wan is kind of like, wait, who were you again? You know, no, no, not at all. That's okay. not how he is at all. I mean, that's not how he is at all. I, I, like, I honestly don't remember. Do they no. even see each other on the Clone Wars? Are you kidding me? They fight like did they? Oh yeah, times. of course, because it's the Clone because Wars. Because Maul, because they Maul becomes like, they fought like fifteen times because it's the Clone Wars. Yes, you know. Okay, listen here, <laughs> listen here, smart Alec. Uh, you know, Clone Wars is a great series, and the whole Darth Maul thing is great. Okay, and. It is. It's so much fun. It's so much. It's so much an example of 
of, of, of whimsy and and bringing a beloved character yeah, back. It's definitely say, an example of whimsy. I'll say that. Yes. I yeah, and saying that. to the fans, you know what? You love this character, so I'm going to bring them back, which is just like Whistler in Blade 2. Sometimes. Whistler made the first Blade movie work. Blade 2 works with Whistler in it. There's no Whistler in Blade Trinity, and Blade Trinity stinks on ice. Some, okay, that's no accident. Sometimes if you love something, you have to let it go. But, I, look, here's the thing, right? This is, I, I guess this is the other side of it. The The other side of it is, um, if if it were up to me, I would not have brought Whistler back either, okay? I mean, I'm happy when he's yeah. there, but at the same time, like, I mean, you can say that they built up all this stuff with Darth Maul or whatever and everything, but Darth Maul basically, like, aside from being a guy who had, like, a double-sided lightsaber, there was nothing about him. It's not like this was, like, some sort of, like, extremely deep character. He's a guy who says that at last, you know, they'll reveal themselves to the Jedi and at last they'll have their revenge. And it's like killing him. It's not like we're like, episode two can't work without Darth Maul, but also... I mean, here's the other thing about this whole thing, which I think is the reason why I give it so much crap. Because, like, I oftentimes think, like, you know, they're like, is Boba Fett dead or is he not? I'm like, yes, he's dead. We saw him fall into the thing, and then the thing burped, and he died. He's dead. Yes. Yes, I, now, that I agree with. Now, Boba Fett's if, done. If they bring him back or whatever, am I going to have as big of a problem with it? I don't think so, because this is the other thing about it, which just, it sort of cracks me up, and it's the thing which I'm always like, why? Because I always bring it up. You probably know what I'm going to say, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. George Lucas made mm-hmm. a point of changing the scene so that not only did he get thrown down the hole, but he also got chopped in half because he wanted the audience to be 100% positive that this guy was as dead as Disco. And then then he brought him back. And then he brought him back because Because, why not? Because, you know. Because he wanted to. And that's he, fine. Because he wanted sandbox. to add a, another addition you know what? to the You know Skywalker what, seriously, the, 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 the sense <laughs> of fun, no, please, the sense of fun that goes along with it is just like being a kid playing in your backyard. How many times did you resurrect somebody that, like, blew up in an, like, were, like when you were playing with toys as a kid, did you, uh-huh. like, completely play along to the where if you killed one of your your GI Joes or something like that you were like he was totally done. did you ever bring anybody back while you were playing with your toys Yes and that's why there you they go. didn't and give the me fun. the keys to a multi-billion dollar franchise because it's a you're stupid insane. idea It is not a stupid idea It is not a stupid idea at all you're so wrong on this it hurts okay. man All right it All right it hurts. hurts almost as much as getting chopped in half and being thrown down a hole but You'll be okay. He didn't hit the bottom. You'll be okay. That's he, how he got away. He didn't hit the bottom. He didn't hit the bottom. So what did he do? Did he just like... yeah, actually, actually, the in, in the official lore oh, of everything. Uh, I, look, no, the, I want to hear long, this now. <laughs> the short version of it is magic. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. The we've, dark, t- we've discussed the, magic on, the, on Trek. Out the dark side. The dark side magic mm-hmm. kept him alive. Yeah. Okay, you're you're inhabiting a universe. Right. The dark where side magic Jedi. did keep him alive. That's very meta right. of them. But anyway, basically, <laughs> and he fell. He fell, and there was. Uh, he wound up grabbing on oh. to something and not going all the way down the pit. And 
he actually says in the episode where they bring him back, they're like, how did you, how are you still alive? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know how I got here. Uh, because when they find him, he's attached to a spider body, mm-hmm. a robot spider body. And he's like, I don't know. And he's like completely insane. Yes. And it's crazy good. So. Yeah. Yeah. The payoff was worth everything. Just like watching Donnie Yen in Blade 2 uh-huh. w- didn't drop any hint of Chirrut Imwe, except for the fact that Donnie Yen's awesome. And he's he, I you know no, there if was I, have, I mean because there were some sword fights and everything where I was like oh this is very cool and similar in style to you know Rogue One. In if I if ways. I were to if I were to um, have any sort of like I, I don't know voiced regret about Blade Two, it's that the way they they polish off Donnie Yen's character is so abrupt. Mm-hmm. Like I I was totally digging the character of snowman and then all of a sudden it's like oh and he's dead it's like he doesn't even get a good death scene out of it yeah that's true it's like wait what like all of a sudden he's just dead Mm -hmm. it's like oh well that's kind of yeah a lot of the other blood pack members do get cool deaths but yeah donnie and he's kind of lacking yeah and i don't i don't know why why they would make such a decision but long story short i think we both recommend blade 2 yeah yeah for sure i love it definitely the best of the blade movies I don't know. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go back and uh, watch the original. But I am tempted to agree with you uh, at this point, simply on the strength of the ending. Um, I, th- I just think the ending is so much better than the original Blade. Yeah, um, that it just works better. Yeah. So, I you know I'm I'm gonna just throw this out there because you know whatever it is. But um, I, I I actually think that um, Blade Trinity is a very good movie, and you're I insane. think that it's better than the first. You are one. you're you're just like broken in the head and saying like i i went to no i went to like one of those point. like well it was like a you know you got passes from like the school newspaper you know to like mm-hmm. an early screening at piper's alley which mm-hmm. is uh, that's the 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 darth maul coming back to life of movie theaters it doesn't exist <laughs> anymore but it was oh my god the worst place to watch a movie and i remember like coming out of it like this was you know like a, a you know maybe like a, Five days before the movie came out, and I remember coming out of the theater thinking like, "That movie was really good. That holds up, you know, next to Blade Two, and you know, I can see like, uh, you know, this is going to be something that critics like as well, you know." And then the the review, and then I think I was with Max. I think I saw it with Max, and he's like, "That movie was terrible." I'm like, "What are you talking about? It was so Max cool." Is right. And he's like, Max "That movie was garbage." I'm like, "Yes." And he he was a huge fan of Blade too, and I'm like, what what's the thing? What's the di-? and I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I like in there. I like you know uh, Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds and you know all them and and everything. Patton Oswalt and Natasha Leone and everything. I thought Ryan Reynolds has one of my favorite on screen insults that I've ever heard that we dare not repeat on this show. But uh <laughs> Blade Trinity is a garbage movie, but the when he utters that insult I laugh I laugh out loud every time I even think of it. Yeah. So. I, I mean I, I don't know. I, I, I like that movie. I do. I, I think the Dracula thing is a bit cheesy, but whatever. But whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I know I know I'm on the outside on that one, but I came around on Blade Two. I am not budging on Blade Trinity. Okay. I can promise you that. Fair enough. I can promise you that. But another thing that I can promise you is that uh, if you want to interact with the show, you can go over to nerdparty.com 
uh, slash contact and look up the show and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can reach out to us through the official Twitter handle at Join Nerd Party. Uh, that's where you can reach all of the shows. Use the uh, hashtag Great Shot Kid, and uh, we'll pay special attention to that if you want to reach out to us. And uh, that's where they can reach us on the official Nerd Party channels, except I forgot Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. You can reach us over there as well. And Mike, where can they reach you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on uh, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I, I do a show called Commentary Track Stars. And you can find me on TalkFilmSociety.com, doing a show called Soderbergh2828. And you can find me on Trek.fm, doing a show called Stage 9, where we talk about the people who make Star Trek, along with John. That's right, and uh, just yesterday, uh, in terms of show release, we were talking about American Gods by Brian Fuller, Mm -hmm. and uh, so go ahead and uh, check out Stage 9 over on Trek.fm. We would appreciate that as well. You can find me uh, also here on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing, and co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig, where we do uh, crazy zany things every week, whereas... There's no script and absolutely no sense of planning or expectation. It's pretty, pretty insane. It's usually uh, that's usually for the best. It usually is. It usually is. We need to be free like a bird. Yeah, I think somebody sang a song about that at one time, <laughs> but they never sang a song about Kessel Junkie, who is roaming around uh, notoriously on the internet from time to time. So thank you for joining us here on Great Shot Kid. Join us next week on Great Shot Kid, where we go to the Joss Whedonverse, and uh, more importantly, a film featuring Alan Tudyk, who brought to life K2SO in Rogue One, Serenity. Serenity.